0: This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicle. What's
2: going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, is Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. It is Friday. We are officially a few days into the 2019 league season. The Niners have made a bunch of moves. We're going to talk all about that stuff. But uh, Kyle, you got a big weekend coming up in Monterey. I'm pretty jealous, to be honest, because it looks like it's going to be beautiful outside.
1: Yeah, I've not been to Monterey at least in my. I'm sure I've been before when I was little, but I've not been in my like. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember going. <laughs> cognizant, my cognizant life. That's what I was looking for. I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't remember ever going down there. So I'm going down to the aquarium. I've wanted to go really bad. My my girlfriend and I are going. And then uh, we're going to do dinner down there, and it's it's going to be a good weekend. I'm really excited.
2: The aquarium's awesome. The otters are awesome. The the deep sea stuff is really cool. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really, really excited around. for that. The aquarium's a really fun time. But uh, we're going to talk about some other big fish that the 49ers have acquired. You like that, oh, is that that's good?
1: That's beautiful. All right, good. So
2: <laughs> on Thursday, the 49ers officially introduced Quan Alexander and D. Ford, their biggest addition so far since, uh, since this week began. Uh, it was kind of a crazy day at, at team headquarters yesterday. We, we initially thought it was just going to be you know kind of a press conference with with those two guys, and then we got uh, you know some scrums on the side to, to talk to Alexander and Ford a little bit away from the podium, and then we expected to go back, right, and call it a day. Uh, but then the 49ers kept making additions, and they kept bringing some of their new players into the media workroom uh, giving us stuff to write about, which was fine. But it it was a l- much longer day than, than any of us media people anticipated. And uh, and we got to meet Jason Verrett. We got to meet uh, Jordan Matthews. We got to meet David Mayo, all these guys, uh, new players to the team. We got to meet Tevin Coleman for the first time who came in late. Um, it was actually funny, too. You know, we didn't know one of the Niners PR staffers comes in and says, all right, we're bringing somebody in. And we're like, who? We're scouring the internet to see reports. Like, you know, who's who's this guy going to be? Is is it somebody that's already reported? And it wasn't, it wasn't Tevin Coleman because we knew he was coming in later in the day. And then all of a sudden in walks Jordan Matthews. And it's like, oh, the Niners have signed Jordan Matthews. So it was like one of those deals where it actually happened. We saw it in real time and reported it in real time rather than, you know, seeing somebody like Adam Schefter and Rappaport get it first, uh, which is just a unique situation. So... Yesterday was busy. Okay.
1: Can I, can I explain my viewpoint of that from my, from my desk at home? Mm -hmm. So uh, because I'm sitting here and I'm writing and I'm looking at stuff and I get, I have the alerts on for all the Niners beat writers. And I think it was Barrows tweeted it first. And then I jumped over to Twitter to see who, uh, who reported that initially. Mm -hmm. And, I have a Niners list on TweetDeck deck that has all the, all the beat writers and stuff. And by the time I, from the time I set my phone down to loading up TweetDeck, deck, uh, you and Mayoko and Wagner had all posted about this and I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> and so to know that you guys all found that out because he just walked into the room <laughs> is really, really funny.
2: Yeah, it was, it was surprising. Um, it was surprising to say the least, because he wasn't really somebody that had been linked to the 49ers at any point, aside from, obviously, you know, he's Jerry Rice's cousin. Uh, so there's been that whole thing that was written about a lot when he first came out in the 20, I want to say 2014 draft. Yep. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be hit on a bunch over these next few months. I, I didn't write about it because I had wrote three other stories yesterday, but um yeah, I mean, takeaways from the press conference. I, I think you know the Forty ers It's it's pretty simple when it comes to D Ford and Quan Alexander, right? The Forty ers want to improve on takeaways. They were dead last in the NFL. So they set an NFL record in futility, which just seven takeaways and two interceptions. So they get D Ford, who created more turnover-worthy plays than any other player in the NFL last season with the Chiefs. And obviously, you know, you would you would think, I mean logic says that that's a good fit for them and and they need an edge rusher and he gives them exactly what they've been missing in terms of somebody who can pressure the quarterback um and and force some bad decisions and Kyle Shanahan said it pretty distinctly uh well, I'm looking for the quote talk while I while I find this quote
1: yeah he mentioned he mentioned speed and he mentioned how speed and violence affect a quarterback
2: and make people yeah. do stupid things before they want to. Both of these guys have a lot of speed, and they both play very violent. So, yeah, I mean that's that's basically the gist of it. I don't think you know, the, these aren't really eyebrow raising additions for in this in the standpoint of like, oh the Niners are really shaking things up. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's like they needed somebody off the edge to force turnovers. They got somebody off the edge, presumably to force turnovers. The Quan Alexander discussion is interesting. Um, because it was so much money on the surface, that four year 54 million dollar deal wa- was at the time before CJ Mosley signed his contract with the Jets that gave him 17 million a season, It was the Alexander's deal was the biggest in the NFL for an inside linebacker. And so you think the sticker shock is, oh, that's that's an enormous contract and then the details come out, well after next season, there's only three million in fully guaranteed money on that deal. And essentially that allows the 49ers to you know restructure the contract after the season. They could essentially move on from him with no cost after giving him 14 million in guarantees for 2019, uh, the question becomes um, you know, coming off that ACL tear suffered in October, when is he going to be ready and how effective is he going to be? And I would assume that he's not going to be 100% of the same player he was before the injury next year. We might not see that type of player until 2020 when the 49ers have a financial decision to make. You know, are they going to pick up the entirety of of that, of of his, you know, base salary and pay that in 20s in 2020 if he's not going to be that player? And I think it's sort of, you know, Paragmarate, their chief, you know, salary cap contract guy does this a lot. It's basically a year-to-year contract. So uh, it's, you know, Alexander fills a need for them, but we just don't know how effective it's going to be and at what cost he's going to come at over these next few seasons.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll be able to see this year where he's at. Is Is he going to, even if he's not back to his full capacity athletically, um, how does he fit in the defense? How does he play alongside Fred Warner? Does it look like he'll get back to that point? How's he feeling? I think there's a lot of things that they'll be able to suss out over these, over training camp and then the 17-week season to decide whether they want to keep him going into next year. So I think they'll be able to glean plenty from, from what they see once the games start. But right now, it's a huge question mark because maybe he comes back and he's at his full athletic ability and he slides in seamlessly and everything works out but there's also a scenario where he's just not the same guy and suddenly his fit in the defense that speed and violence that Kyle shanahan talked about isn't there so it like like you mentioned it gives them an out after one year his contract does and if if it's the case that they have to cut him next year then they do so for relatively cheap and you can say the experiment didn't work and they have a need at will linebacker or he comes back and he's an excellent player who fits really well and suddenly the contract doesn't look so bad.
2: Yeah, a lot was a lot was made of of his missed tackles and rightfully so. I mean it's an important it's an important aspect of playing linebacker, obviously, being able to chase down ball carriers and make tackles. Uh, the mm-hmm. thing is, I, I would I would caution people not to overreact to some of those missed tackle metrics. I think pro Football Focus said, uh, he missed 18% of his tackles over a three-year span, I think, which was second worst among inside linebackers from yeah. 2015 to 2018 or something like that. I'd have to go back and look for the exact stats from Pro Football Focus. But, I, I mean, when you're fast and you're chasing down a lot of fast players and you're you're playing in space, you're going to be more prone to missing tackles. That's just what happens. A lot of players wouldn't get to this wouldn't get to even have the opportunity to make some of those tackles that Alexander is in position to make because Alexander is a little bit faster. So right. I, I wouldn't read too much into that. And and just because Robert Sala, you know, linebackers, that, that's his inherent position. He's a, he came from Jacksonville where he's a linebackers coach, where he's worked with Telvin Smith. And obviously all of those guys who have proven to be really, really good linebackers. I would just, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about his missed tackles. And like I said, with another safety in the box in the scheme that they play, I think he won't be required to play in space as often uh, and be in one on one scenarios without help as often just because he'll have that safety in the box. So I'm optimistic about it from the 49ers standpoint because he's young. I think part of the cost in the contract was the fact that they're paying for youth. He's still only 24. Right. And these are the types of decisions that you have to make when you have something like the Reuben Foster situation happen.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a Reuben Foster type of tax, I guess, uh, yeah. to, to have to pay him. But one of the things that made that Seahawks defense so good, and that's a little bit what I, a little bit more than a little bit what the 49ers are effectively trying to replicate. They're trying to replicate that same scheme with, with similar players. And one of the hallmarks of that defense is was their speed and the ability to put pressure on offenses not just quarterbacks but forcing offenses to operate in smaller windows of space and a player like Alexander and a player like D Ford who we haven't really even talked about yet uh, are are the ki- the type of players who can can do that and can turn the defense into something closer to what the Seahawks had the, in the early part of this decade. Not saying the Niners are going to be a top 5 defense this year, but you see the direction they're going, you see you see what the plan is, which is better than uh, some teams can say when it comes to comes to building their team. So maybe it doesn't work, but you see the direction they're going and see what they're trying to do.
2: Yeah, and so I, I, let's let's talk about Ford a little bit and just exactly how he fits into the defense schematically and where he's going to play whose snaps he's going to, he's going to take away from. Um See, to me, I mean, John, John Lynch said he was asked directly if Ford was a Leo yesterday. Um And, and Lynch, Lynch said I'm he fits. I'm sorry, <laughs> Lynch sorry. said, I have no idea I, uh, about what uh astrological sign D Ford is. I'm um, researching it right now. Okay. Look that up while, well, while, well, while we break down this football stuff. Um, so John Lynch said that he fits a Leo mold perfectly. Uh, and something that I've been told from players, which I, I think that hasn't really been talked about enough is that Leo and, and Sam, and I mentioned it before, have have our only positions in the five man front base defense, right? The four, three over that they run. Those guys are all on the line of scrimmage. The Leo and the Sam are basically, uh, weak side and strong side positions, respectively. And all of that stuff gets thrown out the window when you go to four down sub. There's only two defensive ends, two defensive tackles. They don't switch sides based on the strength of the formation. That only happens in base downs. So Leo and Sam only matter in base downs, not sub packages. Right. I think the 49ers brought Ford in specifically to play defensive end on either side in sub packages. And one of the things we were talking about with some of the other beat writers yesterday was, well, you're giving this guy, you know, he's your highest paid defensive player. He's making $17.5 million a year. He got $87.5 million over five years. Why would you pay somebody that much if he's not going to be a three-down player? I, I mean, for me, it, it you pay D Ford to rush the quarterback. And he's going to be doing that. The Niners are going to be doing that the most in sub packages, obviously. The, the money downs, second and third down, those are the most important downs of the game, typically. So I, I don't know that, you know, whether if he's actually is going to be a Leo. See, if the Niners draft Nick Bosa second overall, Nick Bosa is going to be the Leo. Um, if, if they don't draft Nick Bosa, maybe they draft Queen and Williams, I still think Solomon Thomas is going to be a Leo because he's a good edge defender against the run in those packages. Sure. So I, I just I don't want I, I don't think fans should necessarily be shocked if they find out that D. Ford is a two down player and somebody who plays, you know, no more than sixty five percent of the snaps. Uh, and he actually played more snaps last year. I was surprised to find this out, but he played more snaps last year than DeForest Buckner. He played over a thousand snaps and wasn't an wow. every down player for the Chiefs, but they ran. Uh, you know they ran a, a three-four, and he was a, a natural outside linebacker in a three-four. But he's never been particularly good against the run. Uh, so, the if I'm tr- if I'm building this defense and, and scheming it up, which you know I'm not, I'm I've never been a coach, so I can't say <laughs> this with any real authority. But if Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead are on my team, who are typically two pretty good edge defenders when it comes to defending the run, uh, I would simply sit. I would use Ford only in sub packages and allow those other guys to, to play against the run. Uh, That way you're maximizing him. You're keeping him fresh uh, and you're not going to allow him to get exposed in the running game.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think if he is only playing, let's say let's go 68% of the snaps. Let's say he plays 68% of the snaps this year. Ford does. But those 68% of the snaps, he's rushing the quarterback and doing so effectively I think that matters less than if he was playing 68% of the snaps and, you know, comes up with four sacks this season. Then it's then I think there's going to be a larger focus on his amount of playing time, but in a situation in a 2-minute situation at the end of the game where a team is going to be passing, Ford's going to be on the field with a chance to with a chance to impact the game and that's something that Kyle Shanahan said he wants closers and Ford is in a position to be that on this roster.
2: Right. And he's going to be at the end of a game. If you're not playing him as many snaps, he's going to save energy, presumably be more explosive at the end of those games if he's not playing, you know, 90% of the snaps. Like So DeForest Buckner led the defensive line last season playing 852 snaps. That was 79% of the total. Second among the defensive line was Solomon Thomas, who played 60%. Eric Armstead was third. He played 57%. So I think the 49ers have, they've had a heavy rotation along the defensive line. If your second most used defensive lineman is only playing 60% of the snaps. And I would imagine that, you know, D four would probably be North of that. I I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be around 65 or 70%. Uh, and he's going to be used, you know, I, I would, if he's, if he plays 90% of sub package snaps, which probably ends up being, you know, 65, 70% overall, I, I think, think that there- would make sense. And,
1: they're in sub packages way more than they're in their base defense.
2: Yeah, they're in sub packages about 70% of the time.
1: Okay.
2: So, so Cassius Marsh played, he was, you know, their, their sub package, you know, edge rushing specialist last year. He played 52% of the defensive snaps. Ronald Blair played 50% of the defensive snaps. So I, I just think that's where you're going to see Ford get his playing time, replacing Marsh and Blair on the edges and maybe seeing, you know he won't be an every down player, but I don't think that necessarily matters because you're not paying him to stop the run because that's not his skill set. I think you're paying him to to rush the passer and to get the most out of him. It's probably better that you don't require him to to you know take on all those running plays because he's only 252 pounds. Like he's not you know he's not Solomon Thomas, who's 275. Right. Or Eric Armstead, who's you know two ninety five on the edges. Those guys are better built to to take on the run, uh, and and the forty nine ers' run defense has been pretty good. So I, I don't know if I would really go into fixing that unless all of a sudden teams are are passing a ton out of their base personnel, and then maybe you think about making those adjustments as, as time goes on. But uh, for now, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really mess with that too much.
1: Do you think that Ford and we can we can just do this real quick? Do you think Ford can play Sam linebacker? In in the base defense, yeah, because
2: yeah, I think he could, but I don't know like if
1: they if they feel this need like, hey, we need to have this guy on the field for eighty five percent of the of the defensive snaps. It, can they can they justify putting him at Sam for those handful of snaps per game?
2: I think they could, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if there was another player who was better at Sam. And Sam is uh, the Forty Nine ers have proven over the last couple of years that Sam is not an overly important position right. in, in terms of what they do. Their best Sam linebacker uh, in 2017, they traded away uh, to the Lions, uh, Eli Harold, before last season and basically just went with Mark and Zocche and Malcolm Smith, who neither of which who are, you know, game-changing type players, but the Niners didn't, you know, they wanted somebody who could excel in coverage and maybe give a little bit of help off the edge in terms of run support. But I don't think that that's necessarily a premium position. And then I think somebody could probably do it better than Ford, just from from a standpoint of setting the edge against the run. Uh, and basically, I mean, the the job is to set the edge and force runners back inside to where all the tacklers are. Get back inside to you know where the nose tackle is, to where the linebackers are, to where DeForest Buckner is to make those plays. It's not necessarily to you know stop the running game. And and if D Ford is is playing on his heels and they're running right at him I don't think you're doing him any favors and then all of a sudden you know you're if you're using him and he gets exposed there then it's like all right you paid 17 and a half million for this guy and he's not good against the run what are you doing when you could just place someone else there not worry about exposing him and then let him do what he does best, which is get after the quarterback
1: that makes sense hey would you would you say that d Ford's pretty talented I would would you say that his position is unfound? Uh
2: uh, sure, what are you getting at?
1: Because he's a Pisces on the cusp of Aries, and according to astrology dash zodiac science dot com, <laughs> the strength of a person born on March nineteenth, which is D Ford's birthday, is their talent and their oh, week and They're unfound, so that makes okay. sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Um Yeah, no, that's great. I'm, I'm sure that's why our listeners that's why our listeners download the podcast is for astrology picks
1: committed hard to the bit
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so d ford um what else do we want to say yeah i think i think he's he's gonna take essentially take away snaps from cassius marsh and ronald blair
1: which is probably Um, yeah probably a good thing right yeah i think so
2: cassius marsh had five and a half sacks which is a decent number but four and a half came in two games and a couple of them came on botched snaps
1: at least two came on botched snaps
2: and and I, others came when, like the quarterback held onto the ball for a very long time. Yes. Um, yeah, I just uh, I think giving giving D Ford Cassius Marsh's snaps is a pretty pretty solid upgrade.
1: And I think last last thing for me on this, they needed to go get an edge rusher that they know can sack the quarterback in the NFL. And D Ford did that thirteen times last year. That's that's that would have led the 49ers by, uh, I think, what, half a sack, but it would have been by far the most by an edge rusher. And it's something that's that's the type of impact that that a player hasn't had for the 49ers since what, Alden Smith? Yeah, He, he forces he gets sacks, he he forces turnovers like that's those are two things that the 49ers defense desperately needed. And you have to whether whether you agree that D Ford was the guy they should have gone and gotten or not, uh, the Niners think it is, and they took a big swing to go get him. So uh, good on them for identifying their biggest weakness and and taking a giant step toward fixing it.
2: Yeah, and I think you maximize D Ford by getting another edge player to play across from him, because uh, then you are really if you get an elite player on the other side, like Justin Houston was last year for the chiefs, for an example, um, it allow, it sort of just brings everything together, right? Because when you can, when you have one elite edge rusher, you can slide protections or you could have a linebacker into chip, or you could have a, a running back on his side to double team or whatever. And then teams generally, you know, don't have a ton of problems blocking your front front four. But if you have another elite guy on the other side who can win one-on-one matchups, then you have to force offensive coordinators to pick and choose who they're going to block and who they're going to double. And you can't, you can't double two guys consistently on the edge because you only have five eligible receivers and you're going to, you're going to lose two of those. And then you become a lot more, a lot easier to cover in terms of the passing game and running routes and all that. So I think one of the reasons why D Ford was so successful last year is because he had Justin Houston on the other side, who was really good. He had Chris Jones on the inside, who was really good. And obviously DeForest Buckner could, I think DeForest Buckner is a more talented player than Chris Jones, but Chris Jones had a better season last year, in part because of his surroundings uh, with D Ford and Justin Houston on the outside. If the Niners can get Nick Bosa and he can be a double digit sack guy, then you're really talking about you know three elite pass rushers and you could be you could find yourself you know in the top 5 in sacks and if you're in that if you're in that realm if you're in that neighborhood you're going to force a lot more turnovers and like we said i mean the niners forced seven, f- forced seven turnovers last year and d ford had 10 plays that he made on his own last year that caused turnovers he had
1: seven which forced is, fumbles
2: yeah seven forced fumbles and then pressures that resulted in interceptions uh, that next gen stat, NFL next gen stat that we keep referencing, it's a big one. But uh, yeah, I think you know, I th- from that standpoint, it's it's a no brainer, a no brainer addition. But there are questions. You know, he was really good in the contract year. He did have back surgery in 2017, which is not ideal. But he came back to play over a thousand snaps and seems healthy, and he's still in his prime, which I think is important. You're not getting a guy who hasn't developed yet or, or getting somebody on the back end of his prime D Ford's 28 next week. And that's good news for the 49ers.
1: I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't have anything to add. Okay. Well, I have an announcement to make Kyle. Oh, okay. Is it another Niner signing by the 49ers?
2: No, not a signing by the 49ers, but blue wire, the, uh, the network that hosts this podcast is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a trade blade travel blade cover. Get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining simple, clean design with a quality and with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Kyle, also, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is getting here quickly. And whether you're filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is a perfect home for your March Madness fun.
1: I'm doing all of the
2: above, by the way. Good, good. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? (laughs) Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? never and can Kentucky get back to the final four sorry coach Cal nope wow out on coach Cal huh okay a
1: lot, of, a lot of L's a lot of L's there
2: all right well if you know the answers like Kyle or even if you don't my bookie is a place to get in on the action they have something for everyone even you multiple bracket guy uh, my bookie has been in business for years their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business and the best part is they pay out fast when you win I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash in. Deposit with my bookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign up bonus. That's half off. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid.
0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
2: So, introducing D Ford and Quan Alexander, like we said, weren't the only things that happened yesterday. The 49ers brought in Tevin Coleman the running back from the Atlanta Falcons uh he and we, he we had a brief introduction late late yesterday in the media workroom um two years five two years ten million dollars five million a year I sort of thought that he would get a lot more than that right from somebody yeah, he was
1: really good last year when when Devonte Freeman was out
2: yeah. So okay, let's let's look at this. So Kyle Shanahan obviously was the coordinator with the Falcons when Coleman was drafted in the third round of 2015 out of Indiana. Uh, in 2016, 2017, and 2018, he had 941 yards from scrimmage, 927 yards from scrimmage, and last year had 1,076 yards from scrimmage. Uh, and he scored 19. He scored 28 touchdowns over those three seasons. I I find this the, to be a fascinating addition, and I think when it ter- in terms of value and and how he changes the complexion of the offense, I think this might be the best free agent addition that they make. Well, considering D Ford was a was a trade,
1: I think so too. I think there's there's a path to him contributing in a big way out of the gate, whether it's McKinnon starting the season on the pup list. Or even if even if they do, let's let's go to the let's go to the realm where where they keep four running backs with McKinnon, Breida, Coleman, and and Raheem Mostert. I think there's still plenty of snaps and touches for Tevin Coleman just because of the the versatility that he brings and the explosiveness that comes with his with his game.
2: Right. I mean, the thing is so. The Niners paid McKinnon, you know, they gave him a four year, uh, $30 million contract with I think $12 million guaranteed, just based on his physical traits and his pass catching ability and, and his route running and things like that. The Niners viewed McKinnon as their top, uh, they, he was going to be the fulcrum of the offense, really both the passing game or both the running game and the passing game, because I mean, obviously play action is such a big part of what Kyle Shanahan likes to do. But it was a lot of projection, right? Because we hadn't seen McKinnon work in an offense like Kyle Shanahan's, and he was always a reserve player with Minnesota. With Coleman, he's he's done a lot of work. He didn't start as much with Shanahan, obviously, because they had Devontae Freeman. But we know exactly what he looks like in Shanahan's offense, and the returns can be really good. So there's far less projection than you would be making than you know than McKinnon, because we know what it looks like. So the interesting thing is how all this is going to shake out because right now you have four running backs who are more than capable of, of earning, you know, 40 to the, the ability to be active on game days, right? Kyle Shanahan has never had more than three running backs up on game days. And typically last year it was Matt Breida, uh, somebody else, and then Raheem Mostert when he was healthy because P- Mostert's such a good special teams player. Well, now the 49ers have four Four of those guys. And I asked Kyle Shanahan yesterday if bringing Coleman back allows them to maybe take it more slowly with McKinnon and have him be a uh, start the year on, on pup, the physically unable to perform list, which essentially means he'd be inactive for the first six game of the season, six games of the season and then eligible to return week eight. Um, and in doing that, you give him more time to heal up, obviously coming off that ACL tear, he plays an incredibly, you know, important position in terms of needing all of your strength in your legs and your cutback ability and things like that. Uh, so giving him that extra time could prove valuable. And then midway through the season, it's essentially like picking up a starting caliber running back in a trade. Right. Uh, and you get, you get him healthy for the stretch run. And then all of a sudden, if you find yourself in the playoff mix and you're playing games in January, you have a starting running back who only played eight games instead of 16. Uh, you know, so you would be fresher and I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse, but just looking at it from a, from a macro perspective, like having Coleman now allows you to take things solely with McKinnon. But I asked Shanahan about that and he said he didn't think so, that, you know, it, they're, they're going to be patient with McKinnon regardless And it might just be something where they go into each week with four running backs on the active roster and then decide to, you know, decide who's up and who's down based on injuries, either at the position or elsewhere. Um, But I mean, overall, it's a really solid pickup. And if you get to a point where, you know, instead of Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, like Shanahan had with the Falcons in 2016, and that running game was ridiculous, I think they were top five and they scored a ton of touchdowns. Um, I I think the 49ers could be in a really good spot offensively with Coleman and McKinnon if McKinnon can get back to full speed because I think they complement each other well and they both fit the offense really well.
1: Right, and Shanahan even talked about last year how he had planned on using McKinnon and Brita together in the offense. Well, now they have a trio of guys who can all fit together and have explosive home run speed. The other thing that stands out to me was last season, they started five different running backs. Is that right?
2: I think they started three, but they used five. Right. Five different halfbacks.
1: Right. So you can't have with how important the running game is to the 49ers offense, you can't have too much depth at that position. No. And and you mentioned all the all the question marks still surrounding McKinnon. Coleman has done this before in Shanahan's offense. He's been a productive player. Matt Breida was banged up all of last season. There's, there's too many question marks on their roster at running back to not invest something in the position. And I think they got a really productive player for not a lot of money. And now what? they don't have to use a draft pick on one like they were probably going to. So this was... I I am in agreement. that agreement, agreement, agreement. I am agreement. in agreement. I am in agreement <laughs> that Coleman is their best. I talk good. <laughs> that Coleman is their best signing.
2: Yeah, I think he's. It's a more affordable addition than Quan Alexander. He's. I mean, so I, I'm looking at the 2016 Falcons team right now. Devontae Freeman scored 13 touchdowns, 11 on the ground, two two through the air. Tevin Coleman had eight rushing touchdowns and three receiving touchdowns. Those two guys combined for 24 touchdowns. I mean, the Niners, I think uh, I I need to go back and look, but George Kittle had five touchdown catches. Same, Same with Dante Pettis. And I think Matt Breida had five touchdowns total. I need to go back and look. Touchdowns,
1: touchdowns. Three rushing, two receiving.
2: Yeah, so they... So. We're talking about potentially, I mean, quadrupling up (laughs) the touchdowns and obviously a lot more goes into it and touchdown numbers aren't just a reflection of those guys, but it goes to show what could be possible with this running game. And if the 49ers bolster the receiving core, uh, I I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for the backfield if everybody is healthy, but even if not. It, it, you know, if you're if if Matt Breida is dealing with ankle injuries, then you have another option. You have like a really legit starting caliber option. You don't you don't have to rely on you know Matt Breida was our best running back last year, and he was probably seventy percent on average throughout the whole season, depending on the day, because his ankle he was having ankle injuries every single week, and he
1: still averaged over five yards a carry.
2: Yeah, so if Matt Breida is now your third option, then I mean. I I just think they they could be really, really explosive and deep in the backfield. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I know it seems like they have a surplus of backs right now, but just given the fact that all these guys are on the smaller side uh, and durability issues have, have risen with Breida throughout his two seasons, I would say, you know, and obviously McKinnon's coming back from the ACL tear. Getting somebody like Tevin Coleman for $5 million, who knows Shanahan's offense, who has been productive in it, Uh, who isn't going to have to adjust a whole lot in terms of, you know, what he sees in front of him with the Niners zone blocking schemes and things like that, all that familiarity. I just think it makes a ton of sense and it could go down. I mean, if the Niners, if the Niners put together, you know, a top eight offense or top five offense, I think Tevin Coleman is going to be a big, a big part of that. And I would imagine that the Niners are going to be in the mix. If they, you know, in the playoff mix, if the defense, gets better, like, like the Niners are hoping it will. And like it should with, with the additions of D Ford, Quan Alexander, uh, we still need to see what's going to happen in the secondary though. So why don't, why don't we, why don't we talk about that? And and you and I both wrote about this yesterday. The Niners are taking the approach, which I don't, ne- I don't know that I would agree with necessarily, but they're building the approach that they want to be good up front and invest their premium resources in front seven players and then sort of allow the market to 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 play itself out to see who they get on the back end. So they're gonna bring back Jimmy Ward on a one year five million dollar contract. Um I was surprised that Jimmy Ward first first of all that he signed that they signed him so early on in the process. I was thinking Ward might be somebody who maybe signs in a couple of weeks, sees the market uh, sees how team view teams view him, what position he's going to play, whether or not he's a cornerback or a safety. It sounds like the Niners are bringing him back, and right now, if you were to drop a depth chart, he would be their starting free safety. And you and I both said that Ward was probably the team's best free safety last season. Obviously, the the number one caveat with Jimmy Ward is durability and all of his injury issues. So, I mean, I, I understand why Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch love Jimmy Ward so much. He from from a mentality standpoint and a toughness standpoint and the way he plays, he embodies everything that they want, but your best of your best ability is availability, right? And he's he's just not available enough to be relied upon, and that's why he only got signed for a one-year, five million dollar contract. If he plays all 16 games, which he's only done once in his five seasons, and he plays like he did last year, the Niners will look smart. Um, yeah. but what are the chances of that happening? I would say it's you know, what is it? 30%, 10%. 10%. Well,
1: let's go in the middle, 20%.
2: So there's a one in five chance that Jimmy Ward plays all 15, all 16 games at a high level next year. Can is that going to be enough? I mean, is it so? Okay. Let's put it this way. Does having Jimmy Ward back as your top free safety, along with Adrian Colbert, along with potentially Joukowsky Tart, who can play free safety if needed, uh, does that preclude the 49ers from using an early round draft pick on a safety?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think you so. Either. Like, a, like a third round pick or a second round pick
2: or trading back into the first for Nasir Adderley.
1: Maybe. I think it depends a little bit on who's available. Yeah. If they can bring back up into the first and take uh, like Nikhil Harry or somebody like that, a wide receiver that maybe should have gone a little earlier in the draft then I think they might go that route. But yeah, I don't. I don't think if they, if there's a safety there, strong or 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 free, that they think can step in and start on day one and be the starter for 16 games. I absolutely think they take that player. I don't think. I don't think Ward or Adrian Colbert or Jakowski Tart or uh, Marcel Harris or anyone else on the roster. Anton Exum, who they they resigned as well. I don't think. Any of those guys are are keeping a top end prospect from not being drafted by the forty
2: Yeah, I think I think they're more likely to add a free safety than a strong safety early on. I think you know Marcel Harris played well enough to to the point where you at least want to see what he can do if it's not gonna be Jaquaski Tart or if Jaquaski Tart is injured. Um I mean, I I don't think Jaworski Tart's done enough to feel like the position is solidified by any means, but I think he does have pretty considerable upside. And if he ever had continuity, which he's going to have now, this is the first time, obviously, he's going to have the same defensive coordinator for three years in a row. You know, I think he could be a good player, but durability is a question with him, too. And he was a guy, one, one of the underrated things that happened last year to the defense was the fact that he was hurt basically starting in week one and, and was never really the same and dealt with a shoulder injury throughout the year. Yeah. If it's Nasir Adderley, I mean, we've talked a ton about receivers at pick number 36 and it makes a lot of sense, but because there are so many receivers in that second or third round range, they might identify somebody they like in round three, like, you know, Debo Samuel uh, from South Carolina who might be available at the top of the third round, allowing them maybe to take Adderley if he's there at 36 or trade back into the first round for for a safety if the, if that's where they need to get to take early I think what you know these teams have you know the Ravens added a safety, obviously the Chiefs added a safety. Some of these teams that we were talking about needing a safety before free agency, adding those guys in free agency with Earl Thomas and Tyron Matthew might push early down the board, and maybe he's available at thirty six, and he's really sort of a true uh, true free free safety for a single high scheme and you know the the approach of well we're gonna we're gonna run it back with Jimmy Ward and Adrian Colbert at free safety sort of signals to me that the 49ers might might have somebody they're gonna target in the draft and to me I mean if you're looking at somebody to compete to start right away and admittedly I haven't taken the full deep dive on the free safety class yet but I think Adderley who's someone they got to know a little bit at the Senior Bowl would make a lot of sense to target uh, if you're not going to bring in a premier free agent like Earl Thomas, who, I mean, that contract, there were there was a lot of talk about Thomas's market softening, and he was going to sign a two-year deal worth $30 million. And, and at that standpoint, I thought the 49ers would be all over that. But he ended up getting four years, $55 million with $32 million guaranteed, and a $20 million signing bonus, which is really the big number because The signing bonus is what's spread out over the four years of the deal. And there's 5 million in fully guaranteed money each year. I just, I mean, yeah, the 49ers getting Earl Thomas would have been a really, really good addition, but Mm -hmm. at four years, 55 with 32 million guaranteed and that $20 million signing bonus. It's just not a contract that I feel like they would give out to a 30 year old. And I'm very curious to see Earl Thomas is a great player and he obviously would have been a fantastic addition for San Francisco for all the reasons that we've been talking about for weeks. But just like, man, if he's at the third year of that deal, when, you know, he's scheduled to make, let me pull it up. He's scheduled to make $11 million and have a $16 million cap hit. Like if he's not playing at an elite level, you know, they're not going to have a ton of flexibility when it, when it comes to that contract. And yeah, there's an out after that third season, but just given the structure of it, which is the exact opposite of, of sort of Quan Alexander's structure, which gives the 49ers a ton of flexibility, I don't know that the Ravens are going to love that deal, you know, three, three years from now. And obviously you get Earl Thomas because your window is open now and you want to compete now. And I totally get that. Right. Um, but I don't know if that deal, the way it's constructed with Baltimore would have been palatable for the 49ers who yeah. eventually are going to have a lot of big contracts to give out when you're talking about DeForest Buckner, George Kittle and guys like that.
1: Yeah. And I think the Niners know that their, their window is not probably open right now. They might push it open this year if, if some things go their way, but I don't think Earl Thomas is going to, to open their window that much wider to, to compete this year. I think they'll, they'll be in the, the playoff hunt, but I don't think you're going to be contenders in the NFC West. And it's, it's, been pretty clear that their mo is trying to push some of the older players out to make room for younger players i think yeah. that's at, at, at a lot of positions even jordan matthews is 26 d ford is about to turn 28 quan alexander's 24 like all these additions jason verrett i think is 27 he's he's, 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 he's in his mid to late 20s so um jason verrett is 27 so it's it's really clear that their M.O. is to not give big contracts to a 30-year-old. Um, yeah. I, I was an advocate for the signing, but I can see why they didn't do it. Uh, because the importance, I have a couple points to make here. So let me see if I can talk my way through this. Okay. It's really obvious, I think, if you look at some of the best defenses in the league, how important the safety position is. Right. The Patriots had really good safety play last year. You look at what Derwin James did for the Chargers in their defense. You look at Eric Weddle, who was with the Ravens and is now with the Chargers. You look at Earl Thomas and the impact that he had on the Seahawks, both in their heyday and even in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. When he went down a couple of years ago, the Seahawks defense like fell apart. Right. Then you look at the Bears defense this year. I know there's all the talk about Khalil Mack, but Eddie Jackson, the second year safety out of Alabama, was dynamite. So and Adrian Amos
2: was really good. Right, the is
1: fantastic. And right, the Packers trying to build their defense went after Adrian Amos. The Bears replaced him with Haha ha Clinton Dix, another really fine player. So, safety play is super important. And with the 49ers, I think the way they're looking at this is they're not going to invest in that position until they know the players they have there are bad. We've never seen this iteration of the 49ers defense with Tavarius Moore and all the safeties we just talked about, Tavarius Moore, uh, Akello Witherspoon, uh, Kwan Williams, uh, DJ Reed. We've never seen these guys with a pass rush that was worth a damn. And I think sure. the 49ers, you mentioned, in fact, I, I believe you wrote this exact thing. The, the Niners aren't investing in their secondary until they see what kind of impact their front seven can have. Sure. I think
2: one point, I mean, something that they probably learned from, right, 2017, their free agent class, they invest in older veterans. And it was Earl Mitchell and Pierre Garcon and Malcolm Smith. Um, Earl Mitchell was probably the best of that group. And they're letting him go, uh, largely because it doesn't make sense to pay a nose tackle what he would have gotten paid when you have somebody like DJ Jones. But the point being, I think there may be, they might be hesitant to pay a top dollar for a 30-year-old coming off an injury after what they experienced with Pierre Garçon and Malcolm Smith. And obviously, they're bringing Malcolm Smith back, but I think they cut his cap number in half to play Sam Linebacker, and he's not going to be all that important. But overall, you look at that free agent class and, and the aging veterans that, those, that, that signed, you could see the 49ers saying, all right, Earl Thomas broke his leg last year. He's gonna be 30. How much money do we want to give him in the 30 year of that contract? And and you know, I, I think it's a smart move for Thomas, obviously, to take the most money available. And Absolutely. I I just don't based on what I know about the way the 49ers do their contracts and the contracts they like to give out. I think the difference if the 49ers were in fact in on Thomas, and there's been no indication that they were serious bidders, but that doesn't mean that they weren't. But I don't think the 49ers were willing to you know, offer Thomas that type of money in the third and fourth year of that contract because they like, when it comes to older guys like that, they like to be able to get out after two years with very few financial ramifications. And that's not the deal that Thomas got. Um, but you can make the argument, and I think it's a very valid one, that you could find a cheaper linebacker, somebody who might not be as young or as fast as Quan Alexander but who's significantly cheaper in the first year and then justify overpaying for Earl Thomas, which I think is is gonna be one of the biggest, you know, questions or what if scenarios that we're gonna talk about when we remember this 2019 free agent class. Were the 49ers smart to give Quan Alexander that contract, paying him fourteen million dollars for twenty nineteen, or should they have saved some of that money, to get somebody like KJ Wright, who's another aging veteran? Or, and and try to get Earl Thomas, make your defense a little bit older, but you might be it might be a little bit safer uh and more expensive, but maybe less upside for the long run. I mean, it's a it's a very difficult question to ask, but I think if it's me, I'm probably investing less in in, in an ball linebacker and more in a safety even though I'll, even though Thomas is older. Um but I mean, I can see why the 49ers did it. But it could end up being the defining decision of the offseason in terms of whether or not the defense actually takes the next step next year. And particularly the secondary. And like you said, the secondary didn't have a good pass rush. So that is a big factor. But the secondary also didn't play particularly well when, you know, I mean, there, the, the secondary shouldn't go into this season with with much credibility in terms of like, well... I completely agree. But yeah, they didn't do much. They, they didn't earn the benefit of the doubt, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. So a lot of that's injuries and we'll see. But I think to, to, to sort of wrap a bow on this secondary discussion, the way they've approached free agency with Jimmy Ward and bringing back Antone Exum instead of bringing in an outside free agent and maybe they get somebody like Trey Boston. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen at this point, but I, I think it's shaping up for them to make an addition in the draft which I didn't necessarily anticipate, but I think, you know, obviously drafting good players and and players who start for a long time is, is the best way to do this thing. Uh, But it's a risk and they haven't drafted an elite or, you know, a really top level starting player in the secondary yet. So I don't know how much, how much correct or benefit of the doubt we can, we can give them when it comes to that, but that's where this is headed. I think.
1: Hi, so too. should we wrap it up? 52 minutes. Uh, yeah, we didn't talk about David Mayo, <laughs> David, Mayo. Minutes?
2: David Mayo, backup linebacker. He's going to replace Brock Coyle. Uh, sadly Brock Coyle, he, he suffered in week one last year, a C4 compression fracture, which is some sort of back neck vertebrae injury. Uh, and he's not going to play football anymore. So David Mayo is, is a special teamer from the Panthers played for four years there. And somebody who's essentially going to take over Brock Coyle's role as as a reserve linebacker and special teams guy. Um, I don't know that there's going to be much analysis to that. I
1: Uh, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it. So we didn't get a comment that was like, "Uh, actually (laughs) you missed one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Jordan Matthews who we can talk about, I guess next week. Um, I'm, I I think I'm a little more bearish on Matthews than the rest of 49ers Twitter. Uh but we can have that discussion later. Um I hope my has my snoring dog been been loud on your end? Have you been able to hear him?
1: No, have my meowing cats been loud on your
2: no, end? No, I haven't I haven't heard. But like every time we talk, <laughs> I just feel like there's meowing cats in the background, so maybe it's just like a pre a preconception of mine.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's a totally totally fair to preconceive.
2: My dog is like completely passed out two feet from my microphone. He snores really loud. So um <laughs> hopefully he's not <laughs> ruining the podcast with his snores during our, our scorching hot free agency takes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll wrap it up. I think
1: uh, hey r- 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 I want to say one thing about Jordan Matthews. Okay. You distracted me with cats. Okay. And dogs. Uh-huh. The the thing with Jordan Matthews that I think intrigues me the most is his red zone production? He has 22 rece- uh, career touchdown receptions. 16 of them have come from the red zone, yep. and he can be more productive, or he can be productive in other areas. I don't think you can lean on him to be your top receiver, and he may not even make the roster. Who knows? But if if they truly want red zone production, he has proven to to score to score touchdowns in that area, which is something they. They desperately need so you see what they were trying to do with the signing and uh maybe it works out for them
2: the fact that it's a one-year deal and we don't know the terms but i would imagine it would be very cheap um the fact that he wasn't super productive with the eagles last year the fact that the patriots didn't even want him after he suffered a hamstring injury in august uh i mean maybe he turns it around and maybe he looks like the player he was during the first three years of his career but i would approach it with uh, with caution for sure, because he does have some injury issues. And I wouldn't preclude the 49. I wouldn't, meet, I, I would still draft a receiver early on, uh, yep. even with Jordan Matthews on the roster, because I think a lot of the same things we're saying about Jordan Matthews now is the same, are, are similar to what we were saying about Jeremiah Tauchu as a pass rusher last year. And obviously, Tauchu probably should have been a starting defensive end for them just based on talent. Uh, But he didn't end up working out with injuries and work ethic and things last year. Uh, And I don't know that that's true of Jordan Matthews, but I would I would sort of group him in that same category of a of a free agent addition who you're banking on upside potentially, but you're not guaranteeing him a roster spot. And I just don't know that he's going to be able to beat out somebody like Kendrick Bourne and a second or third round draft pick uh, at that Z position. So I think with that, let's wrap this up. Uh, thank, ev- thank you, everybody, for listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Please subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. We're on the Blue Wire Network. Enjoy your weekend, Kyle and Monterey, and we will uh, talk next week.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes